spicy drama meatball. <laughs> or there's two werewolves with their shirts off walking by. How dare you? Completely McBonkers. I don't know who wouldn't want to work on it because it was always like very exciting. Just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf. Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf rewatch podcast. I am one of your hosts, Will Wallace, and I'm joined by Calissa Mullis and Kate Colvin. Every week we'll be watching and talking about the hit MTV series one episode at a time. And this week we're talking about season three, episode 23, Insatiable. If you're watching Teen Wolf for the first time and you're worried about spoilers, have no fear. This podcast is broken up into two sections, Alpha and Beta. The Beta section is for first-timers who are just now finding this awesome series and don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. The second section, Alpha, is where we go full spoilers and talk about not just the current episode, but the entire Teen Wolf series, as well as its place in the fandom. In the show notes of your podcast app of choice, you'll find time codes for the Alpha and Beta sections. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. There, our Wolfie patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives like early access to episodes, full moon AMAs, the Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guests video interviews and a monthly watch party so head on over to patreon.com forward slash rtbh podcast and join the pack follow us on twitter and instagram at rtbh podcast and tumblr and tiktok at return to beacon hills if you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss you can email us at return to beacon hills at gmail.com insatiable was written by Jeff Davis and directed by Tim Andrew. Having successfully separated the Nogitsune from Styles, everyone works to find Lydia before the Nogitsune can cause any more bloodshed. Styles and Isaac turn to Meredith, a patient from Eichenhaus, even as Styles' health deteriorates. Raphael forces a conversation with Scott. Derek rescues the twins from a mysterious assailant. Kira faces off against her mother. All roads lead to the old Oak Creek camp where the Oni become a whole new type of threat, and tragedy strikes. Da-da-da! Mm, ominous. Our favorite quote from this episode is actually an exchange between Allison Scott and Isaac, our OT3. Mm-hmm. Allison says, I'm here to save my best friend. Scott says, I came to save mine. And Isaac so hopefully adds, I just didn't feel like doing any homework. It is peak Isaac energy. I feel like he probably hasn't even shown up to school in months. Probably ever since he moved out of Derek's loft, because Derek was doing that thing for a little bit in 3A where he was trying to encourage them to go to school and study and stuff. Yeah. Our honorable mention for this episode would be another fun little exchange where Raphael says, who's she? Style says, she's my girlfriend. Meredith says, you're not my type. Style says, well, obviously we have a lot to talk about. That's a cute moment. I love seeing Styles improvise. Mm-hmm. And we see quite a bit of that because he's always being put on the spot of like, what do I say in the yeah. face of being caught doing whatever it is? And at the sheriff's station, it was funny until it took a turn where Void Styles came out a little bit. But yeah, I, I love his. Well, obviously, we have a lot to talk about instead of being like, OK, so she's not my girlfriend. Right. Yeah. Like, well, I'm sticking to this story and we we have some relationship problems that we should probably dig into. <laughs> Styles is very much a yes and type yeah. of person where he's like, yeah. oh, well, we're done. We're committed. We keep mm-hmm. going. 
that is that is the core of of improv, y'all. Yeah. In the previously on scenes, we see the Nogitsune as Styles just before he disappears with Lydia. Styles having his hair gelled like that because he's evil is the Teen Wolf equivalent of having a mustache to indicate that you're a villain. It is. You can see Peter there when they realize Lydia's gone in our previous episode. I think we made it sound like he wasn't. Yeah, that was my bad. I thought he was gone too. I think they show a shot where everyone looks and Lydia is mm-hmm. not in frame and neither is Peter. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, oh, well, the two people standing next to each other are no longer in frame. They must have both left. So Right. Plus, I don't trust Peter. So it just felt right. Exactly. <laughs> it does feel right. As the episode begins, Deaton extracts the Nagitsune's flies from each of the possessed. It surprised me that they still have to get it out, even though they collapsed when Styles rejected the Nogitsune's game and he and the Nogitsune split. It seemed like that collapse signified the end of the Nogitsune's power over them. Yeah, why is it just hanging out in the back of their throat? Oh, before the episode started, he was like elbow deep. Feels like there's got to be an easier way. But would it be as dramatic? Yeah, Dean couldn't just be like, okay, reach into the back of your own throat and pull out the fly. Isaac's like, couldn't there be an easy way? And Deaton just goes, yes. <laughs> now, actually, in the original script, Peter was the one doing this instead of Deaton. Deaton wasn't there. Interesting. That's worse. <laughs> <laughs> At least I feel like I know where Deaton's hands have been. <laughs> and I know being a veterinarian, he knows how to cleanse properly. I mean, Peter's probably still got blood under his nails or something. Like, I just would not... Oh, come on. That man looks like he gets a manicure every week. That could very well be. Yeah. Still, it's not the same as regular sanitizing. You know, when he dresses, he's very prim and proper. So he'd have to put on an apron so he doesn't get blood on it. And that apron also has a deep V on it for some reason. (laughs) And, you know. He has them specially made. Exactly. Etsy seller. (laughs) Who got the fly out of Derek? Chris? Probably. You know, he had to just go digging in his own throat. Yeah, that's probably Poor true. boy. There's a funny bit from Isaac in the script. After Peter removes the fly from Isaac's throat, Isaac says, that was disgusting. Peter says, it's just a fly. Isaac says, I met your fingers in my mouth. Isaac feels your pain. He yeah. Does. P- <laughs> of course, Peter's like, yeah, and you're welcome. Some people would pay top dollar for that, Peter would say. That's what I have discovered from my OnlyFans. <laughs> Dean explains that all the possessions were most likely a distraction from what was happening to Styles. When this episode originally aired, didn't people notice that Kira was wearing Allison's beanie? I'm sure they did. I definitely know that there was discussion whenever Malia wears one of Allison's beanies. Hmm. All these girls just share share wardrobe. Yep. Is just it how her girls do it. Teenage Rebellion beanie? <laughs> Maybe. So in the original script, Peter was being his obnoxious self. Kira says, there's really two of them now. And Peter says, one evil styles, one idiot styles. Allison says, how's that even possible? And Peter says, well, he was always an idiot. (laughs) Okay, Peter. (laughs) So helpful, Peter. Aiden can't believe that no one noticed that it gets in a kidnapping Lydia right out of the house. Deaton says they were too busy looking at the creature materializing from the floor. Nice excuse, Deaton. Right? Bullshit excuse. That's like a normal Wednesday for you, Deaton. I don't even want to hear it. Right? Acting like he isn't nonchalant as hell about everything. He should act like he feels bad. Yeah. Back at the house, Melissa takes Styles' vitals. I don't know. His hair's still gelled. He hasn't showered yet. 
It looks stiff to the touch. Like, and there's something about Mary. Ah, there's something about Derek. Oh boy. So it was uh it was Mary's stuff in her hair then? Well, I mean it was Ben Stiller's stuff. I know. So because there's something about Mary, there's something about Derek, but it's in Styles' hair. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes. There's something about Styles. There's something about Styles. Styles invites Nishiko to the house so her Oni can check him, though Kira tries to stop them for fear that the Oni will kill Styles. Seeing now would have been the best time to reveal the final forms of the Oni, but I will say I do like the light that was projected onto his face. The Oni marks Styles with the Japanese kanji for self, signifying that he is himself and not the Nogitsune. Unfortunately, it's too close to dawn for the Oni to go after the Nogitsune tonight. Whether they can kill the Nogitsune depends on how strong it is. Further, Noshiko believes the Nogitsune kidnapped Lydia in order to use her Banshee abilities. In the original script, there is an interesting extra bit of dialogue here. Melissa says, I don't get this. How can there be two of him? Noshiko replies, there isn't. There's a demon wearing his face. It's past Kitsune Suki. Strong enough now to have his own body, but he'll keep using Styles' face and voice to blend in and to trick you. I liked that. I think they should have left that in. Yeah, it was good. But I assume you know, they had to keep it tight in this episode. Yeah. Lydia finds herself trapped with the Nagitsune in the tunnels below Oak Creek, where the voices she hears are louder than normal because of all the terrible things that happen there. Oh, that little smirk, because he's so proud. That actually brings up a question that I had. I was a little confused about the relationship between Oak Creek and Iken House. How do you mean? Iken means Oaken, right? So that that was like an intentional connection between them. Iken House was, was obviously... I don't know if it was. Oh, okay. Well, we know that they had to at least be close by, because that's where she buried Reese's body. Was it mm-hmm. underneath Iken House? Yeah. And... Aren't the tunnels that we see Lydia in here the same as at least one of the tunnels that we see them go through in the episode Echo House? No, because these tunnels are in San Pedro. Like these these aren't a set. These are an actual location where we filmed and we wouldn't have gone all the way to San Pedro for one scene. Oh, I had no idea this was actually filmed on location. Yeah, all the Oak Creek stuff is actually in San Pedro. So the one where they're under... Iken House, that was a set. Was that Malia and Styles? And the one guy who was possessed? Yeah, that that's a set. So where is Iken House in relation to Oak Creek? Not far, but far enough away you can't see it. Because I thought Iken House was like on that property or something. It's nebulous at best. It's very confusing. It is quite confusing. I know, I, I, I agree, because she does Cause bury like, yeah, him th- at that, Iken that House. was the big thing is like, did she just carry him to some random building i thought it must have been on that i think that was what i thought it's complicated needlessly i'm not sure how to explain it other than it's teen wolf it's teen wolf needlessly complicated i also completely until this moment thought it was intentional that Iken means oak i do not believe it is i think that's just a coincidence okay i found all that very confusing so that's why I got that wrong. I actually thought the tunnels below Oak Creek and the tunnels below Eichen House were the same tunnels. Gotcha. So what was this location that had these weird tunnels? Oh, I don't remember exactly what it was. I said it was down in San Pedro, like in the harbor. Oh. The Nogitsune tells Lydia that Styles is dying. And he's never been sexier. Worth it. That's Calissa's type. Looks like they're dying. Yeah. Nearly dead giraffes. Lydia swears she won't tell the Nagitsune anything she hears, but the Nagitsune says she won't have to 
she'll be screaming. In the original script, Boyd Styles' eyes turned silver here. Ooh, I wonder why they didn't do that. Maybe it came down to budget, where it's like, oh. we're a little over, so let's remove one effect shot. Mm-hmm. Noshiko teaches Kira the principles of the game of Go, since Scott said he saw Styles and the Nogitsune playing it. Okay, but next family game night, we're doing Scrabble. Kira's frustrated. Her mom wants to teach her a game in this life or death situation, but Nishiko tells her that this situation is a game to the Nagitsune, and it's winning. That's the exact same thought process Derek had. It's just that he only saw the Nogitsune using the chessboard, so he went with chess. Nishiko should have teamed up with Derek. That would have been awesome. That would have been interesting because they're both kind of the strong, silent type. They just stand there being stoic at each other. (laughs) They nod at each other and know exactly what the other one was thinking. Yeah, that would be the scene. They would just stand facing each other with their arms crossed and then they'd go, exactly, and then they'd leave. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I would have loved that. Yeah, that would be good. At the sheriff's station, Stolinski tells Parrish that he got great feedback from Parrish's previous position, but no one could tell Stolinski why he left. Steve Rogers looking ass. He does pretty much look exactly like pre-serum Steve Rogers. Skinny Steve is my favorite Steve. He's fighting the Oni and he's like, I could do this all day. Love it. Parrish says he felt drawn to Beacon Hills and he knew there were openings. Y'all bet. The entire squad was open. (laughs) At least the sheriff was like, you know why, right? Yeah, he's honest about it. He's not trying to hide it. He's like, you probably wondered why the benefits were phenomenal, huh? I want to know more about the sheriff's fishing habits. He's got a fishing hat right there. Oh, that explains the fanfic of him taking Styles fishing. It's very prominent. When Parrish leaves Stolinski's office, Styles and Scott arrive. Stolinski is so relieved to have Styles back, but the bad news Scott has to deliver is that the situation with the Nagitsune is far from over. At the Arjun's apartment, Derek stops the elevator to ask Chris why he didn't take the opportunity to kill Derek. Chris says it's because they're not enemies anymore. Plus, he saved your life, like, last week. Did you tell that to Allison? I like how Chris apparently walked Derek to the elevator. He's very polite. Which he knows is very important in werewolf culture. Exactly. He's learning. So this scene was right after the main title in the original script. And there's also a bit that I really liked that got cut. Derek said, I don't remember anything I said. Argent replies, and it doesn't matter now. Derek asks, what did I say? And Argent replies, just the truth. Ooh. That's good. Oh, I really like that. Yeah, that's right? good. Oh, that's juicy. They should have held on to that one. Yeah. <laughs> that good. Mm. I know, like you said, I'm sure that they were just really crunched for time because this episode is so action-packed and so yeah. dense with plot. But oh my God, I would have really enjoyed that. Ugh. It's a spicy a drama meatball. Cut some of the twins running in the woods and (laughs) yeah, back. We we could have probably cut a couple of those shots because yeah. Oh, so interesting. Chris and Derek think the Nogitsune will try to find them, but at the sheriff's station, Styles, Scott, and Stalinsky take a more active approach, trying to figure out why the Nogitsune would have taken Lydia. Stalinsky asks Scott if he has any insight, since he's the one who heard the whole story from Nishiko. Yeah, but I was only listening to like ten percent of it. Have you met me? It was a long story, Mr. Stolinski. I started playing Candy Crush on my phone. I'm level 187 now. The phrase the whole story triggers a memory for Styles. When he was at Eichenhaus, he heard a girl named Meredith tell someone on the phone that they're going to want to know the whole story. 
even though it turned out the phone wasn't connected. Styles thinks Meredith might be able to help. That is such a big leap. Well, we had to use that thing from that episode at some point. Yeah, Kate's right, though. I agree completely. Parrish finds out that Meredith Walker is still in Eichen House, but she was moved to the closed unit because she wouldn't stop screaming. Yeah, I think it would have made more sense if they had somehow found out about that before Styles made the jump to She Can Help, because then it would make sense for him to think screaming, Banshee, maybe she can help with Lydia. Because as it is right now, when he has that idea of like, we should go talk to her, there isn't actually any connection whatsoever between Meredith and what's going on, or even Meredith and the supernatural. Like, he has no reason to think that she is a supernatural. Yeah. Maybe he should have heard her scream while in Eichen House, and he just had so much going on at that point that he didn't put together until later. Yeah, that's a good point. Stalinsky goes to Eichen House to have Brunsky take him to Meredith, but when they get to her cell, they find that she had managed to take the sedative from the employee and sedate him instead. Then she took his keys. We see her escape the ward. Maya Eshet being sneaky. Elsewhere. The twins try to search for scents or tracks, but get sidetracked themselves when an unseen assailant shoots at them. They both get hit and realize the bullets contain wolfsbane. When in doubt, run through the woods. Is that a G carved into that tree? Looks like it. This is a very rare use of squibs on the show, and I am here for it. What's a squib? The little explosives uh, to show bullet hits. Uh, We don't use them very often on the show. So you didn't mean someone born into a wizarding family, but without magical powers? Nope. Nice reference. Meanwhile, Allison and Isaac go to the impound lot to check out Lydia's car. Isaac can smell Lydia's anger. They search for more clues. When Isaac gets down on the ground, you can hear the ring dagger clinking against the concrete. (laughs) Shut up. Hate it. Slappy and the ring dagger. That's all I got. (laughs) Allison asked Isaac if he was really himself the other night when they were together. So they did sleep together. Yeah, and I did not remember that at all. And I still think the episode didn't quite make that clear. Like, people can sleep next to each other. It is not outside their own possibility. They didn't look, you know, must. They were wearing (laughs) full pajamas. Allison had, like, knee-high socks on, which I've never even worn to bed in my life, let alone if I'm there with, like, a partner. Just saying. Isaac asks if she wanted him to be someone else. Allison says, absolutely not. I mean, I'm not my aunt. Oh my god. But accurate. Isaac confirms that he remembers everything and was fully himself. Okay, but you guys played it like he was possessed. Yeah, this is, uh, I believe the technical term is a walkback. We done f***ed up is what this is. Allison breathes on the window of Lydia's car and finds a message, don't find me. So Lydia used the same trick that Allison and Scott used to use for their secret meetups? Yes. She and Lydia also had secret meetups. Hey. <laughs> At the school, Finstock finds out that his hospital bill from the arrow in his stomach is for $10,000. So he changes his lesson to the topic of the corrupt healthcare system. Yeah, the system is Indeed. But Danny interrupts to point out that they have an unexpected guest in class, Meredith. I love how Finstock didn't notice. She's being extra creepy and standouty in the back, and it did not catch his attention whatsoever. You know that Finstock only notices two people in class, Danny and Greenberg. For opposite reasons. He does know Styles when Styles is there. He just isn't right now. Same with Scott, actually. See, also, the time he berated Scott in season one, we have not forgotten Finstock. 
At the McCall house, Scott rushes into the living room when Styles wakes up anxious and disoriented on the couch. Scott reassures Styles that things are okay, and his dad is looking for Meredith. He promised the sheriff that he wouldn't let Styles out of his sight. But you kind of did, didn't you? Weren't you just in the other room not looking at him? Yeah. It's fine. He's got a baby monitor right there. <laughs> he just really wanted a Pepsi out of the fridge, guys. Ugh, disgusting. The others are looking for Lydia, Scott explains. He notices that Styles seems off. Styles admits he can't seem to get warm. Ugh, we need to warm you up, buddy. Let me call Derek. I don't ship Scott and Styles, but I do think that as a friend, Scott should try to warm Styles up because he's a werewolf and has extra heat. Is that canon, though, or is that Fanon? I think that's Fanon. Yeah, dude, I think that might be Fanon. Oh, no, man. Seems logical to me. <laughs> yeah, he can put an arm around his shoulder. When Scott touches Styles' hand, his veins go black as he takes pain instinctively from Styles. This forces Styles to admit that he aches all over. Scott tries to get Styles to tell him the truth about how much pain he's in, but before Styles can answer, Kira calls and tells Scott that Meredith is at the school. Where, currently, Finstock is trying in his Finstocky way to be gentle in asking Meredith which insane asylum she escaped from. Danny informs him that isn't proper terminology anymore? Ugh, Danny keeping coach straight. Finstock then asks very gently what nut house she escaped from. <laughs> oh my god. When she says I can house, everyone in the room leans away. Oh, that's so good. It's so funny. It is. It's such a great image. Meredith goes on to explain that she escaped so she can help. She can hear them screaming. They scream when someone's about to die and they're all screaming now. She has a look about her like she could be the quirky kid in an 80s or 90s sitcom. Yeah. Or a John Hughes movie. They'd call her Boof. <laughs> <laughs> in the woods, Derek finds the twins and helps them get away. Because he's too good for this world. That's the truth. Kira goes to Finstock to tell him that bad things will happen to Lydia, Scott, Styles, maybe everyone, if he lets the Eichenhaus people take Meredith back. Kira should have said... To Danny. Yeah, that would have been great. Yeah. Unfortunately, Finstock has no idea who Kira is. That's when Brunsky comes in, flanked by other Eichenhaus employees, and approaches Finstock with palpable disdain. Ugh, Aaron is so good at being a shithead. So good. Brunsky asks whether Finstock should be called Professor, but Finstock clarifies that professors teach college. Brunsky says to let him know when Finstock makes higher education. Let me know when you make doctor right finstock goes to show brunsky where meredith is waiting but they find meredith gone chris finds allison in the basement of their apartment building working on her weapons allison says she can't stand sitting around and waiting well she could be in school yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> chris gives her something else to do he shows her a box of silver ingots emblazoned with a fleur-de-lis it's time for her to graduate but not literally, because that would require her to go to school. Lydia keeps telling herself that her friends will find her. So was it not Lydia who wrote that message? I guess not. Otherwise, that's quite a tease to say, don't find me, and then count on them finding her. She knows they will. I find that very confusing throughout the episode. I think the Nogitsune did it. Oh, I can see that. But that doesn't make sense for what happens later, because Lydia's like, oh, I told you not to find me. <laughs> Oh, right. That's right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Then it gets Nate taunts Lydia, asking whether her friends are really spending every moment looking for her or whether they're waiting until nightfall. Either way, what the Nicketsnay wants is more. Like all tricksters, it's hungry, but it eats what people feel, and it's insatiable. At the school, Meredith goes into the band room and tries to use the strings inside a piano to focus her hearing so she can understand what the voices are trying to tell her. Maya Eshet bringing the tears. She hasn't screamed yet, has she? Isn't that normally what they do to focus their hearing? She might not have figured that out yet. It took Lydia a bit, too. Yeah, but they said she wouldn't stop screaming, and that's why she got sent to the closed ward. Oh, true. Meredith is interrupted by the crackling electricity of a stun gun. Brunsky has found her. That's really unnecessary. As Meredith pleads with him to give her more time, and Brunsky raises his hand to shock her, Finstock comes in, informs Brunsky that the school has a strict no-bullying policy, and uses Brunsky's own stun gun to shock him. Way to go, coach! With Finstock on the case, Scott, Stiles, and Kiara rush Meredith away from Brunsky. Shock him again! He does. Should've done it in the dick. <laughs> Unfortunately, when Styles asks Meredith where Lydia is, they discover that Meredith has no idea who Lydia even is. Meanwhile, Chris prepares Allison for her graduation ritual, forging her own silver bullet with the fleur-de-lis on it. Of course, it's mostly ceremonial. Silver's not as accurate as lead. It's a very soft metal, kids. Not when you're getting shot with it. Allison decides she wants to adapt the tradition and forge her own silver arrowhead instead. Allison then tries to say goodbye to her father, just in case. After all, she never got to say goodbye to her mom. What was she said? Goodbye, you crazy bitch. <laughs> Scott, Styles, and Meredith arrive at the McCall house to find Raphael there, demanding to know what they're doing. Styles says they have a free period and Meredith is his girlfriend. When Meredith says Isaac, rather than Styles as her type, they invite him to go up to Scott's room, too. Okay, Meredith, she's out here multitasking. Styles, Isaac, and Meredith go up to Scott's room while Scott deals with Raphael, who insists they need to talk right now. Do they, though? He has the worst timing. Meredith guesses that Lydia is the red-haired girl? You know, the one Charlie Brown is in love with? <laughs> I had that same thought. <laughs> Meredith says she asked Lydia where she is, but Lydia says she doesn't want to be found. So yeah, I feel like Lydia was the one who wrote Don't Find Me. Yeah, it is a little confusing that she wrote Don't Find Me and then was saying they'll find me, they'll find me to comfort herself and then also told Meredith to tell them don't find me. Yes. At the foot of the stairs, Raphael shows Scott a dent on the floor. Just before Raphael left, he and Melissa were fighting. Scott came out of his room and Raphael grabbed him. Scott pulled back and fell, hitting his head on the floor at the bottom of the stairs. He briefly passed out, and when he woke up, he didn't remember what had happened. Melissa kicked Raphael out, and he stopped drinking. Meanwhile, Derek gets the twins to Malia's old coyote den. They don't know who was shooting at them, but Derek needs to get the twins out of there before the wolfsbane from the bullets can spread and kill them. Start cutting things off! <laughs> At the McCall house, Stiles and Isaac try to figure out what to do about Meredith. Stiles tells Isaac they're not going to torture her. Isaac says he meant they should just scare her, but Stiles insists they aren't going to torture her psychologically either. Isaac finally gives in. Isaac, what the f***? He's used to Allison, who's rough in the relationship. I think it's interesting that Scott loves Isaac, but a lot of the stuff that Scott complained about with Derek are at least as true of Isaac as they were of Derek. Namely, that he was a fan of the whole ends justify the means philosophy. Isaac hides his true self from his bestie so that he doesn't judge him. 
Isaac guesses that since Meredith heard voices, she must be a banshee like Lydia. Downstairs, Scott shows Raphael other places around the house where he injured himself and healed. He says he doesn't need Raphael's apology, so he'll see Raphael at his graduation or whenever Raphael shows up again. There's a different line here in the original script. Scott says, you're the one who never healed to Raphael. Hmm. That's interesting, but it also feels like it holds him less accountable for his absence. Yeah. Upstairs, Isaac and Styles try to help Meredith get in the zone to hear more about Lydia. Meredith thinks she hears Styles' phone ringing, so Styles pretends to answer it and says it's for Meredith. Taking the phone, Meredith hears the voices saying, Kudafudra. Scott comes upstairs and hears Meredith's words. He recognizes them as French words from Noshiko's story. At the Yukomura house, Ken insists to Kira that he doesn't know where Nishiko went. All he knows is that Nishiko was trying to keep Kira out of this. Kira says she should have thought that before she had Kira magically rebuild a samurai sword. Yeah, that's kind of on Nishiko. Ken acknowledges this all must be strange to Kira, and she'll have to learn fast. Kira sarcastically asks if he means learning board games. Ken then explains more about the game of Go, which in Korean is called Baduk. He recognizes the playing style on the board that Noshiko had set up for her and Kira, aggressive, which is Noshiko's style. He challenges Kira's assumption that the white pieces were supposed to represent the nogitsune. Scott calls Allison and tells her they know where Lydia is so they can all meet there, but not before Noshiko and the Oni arrive at the old Oak Creek camp. I love how the Oni are always in sync. The triangle formation? It's a flying V! They've been watching Mighty Ducks! Ducks fly together. Yes, ducks fly together. Oni fly together. Chris helps Derek carry the twins to the loft. I like that Derek had called Chris instead of Peter. Yeah. He's adapting. He is. Derek shows Chris the shells he found from the twins' attacker. They don't look like Araya's. Chris recognizes them and looks horrified, saying, It's not possible. Why are you showing shotgun shells when it was clearly bullets being shot at the twins? I don't like that. Maybe the attacker used multiple weapons? It's possible. I still do not like it. (laughs) Before Derek can ask about Chris's reaction, Chris gets a call from Allison saying they found Lydia. Chris tries to convince Allison to wait for him, but she refuses since it's already nightfall. Styles, Scott, and Isaac head toward Oak Creek in the Jeep. Should they be letting Styles drive? I mean, look at him. To your point, Isaac says that Styles looks like he's dying and wonders whether the Nogitsune version of him will look like he's getting better while the real Styles gets worse. This leads Scott to worry that hurting the Nogitsune could also hurt Styles. But Styles doesn't care because he remembers everything he did while he was controlled by the Nogitsune. Styles just wants them to promise not to let anyone else die because of him. Isaac looks to Scott like, I'm not that close with him. I can make that promise, but I feel like you wouldn't want me to, so... Right? That's totally what just happened. Lydia tells the Nagitsune that he seems nervous, and it must be because he knows her friends are coming and plan to kill him. The Nagitsune says that's why he's keeping her close. Scott, Stiles, Isaac, Allison, and Kira all arrive at Oak Creek. Are we doing any group goodbye kisses and hugs just in case? Yeah. Scott points out that they came together to save Malia, and she was a total stranger. Yeah, we have to try way harder for Lydia. Yeah, we actually have to try this time. Oh. Allison came to save her best friend, Scott came to save his, and Isaac came to avoid homework. Isaac, goddammit. 
Styles isn't up for making any wacky comments, so he has to pick up that role. They find Nishiko and the Oni. Kira says she looked at the game and figured out that her real opponent was Nishiko. Well, after your dad pointed out, I mean. Yeah, why would she put that information out there for Kira to figure out if she wanted Kira to stay out of it? Good question. Yeah, good question. Kira tries to convince her mother that Styles can be saved. So they're trying to save Lydia from the Nogitsune, but they're also trying to save the Nogitsune from Nishiko? Yeah, but I don't get why they're so convinced that killing the Nogitsune would, will kill Styles. Right. When Isaac said he wondered if Styles was lo- looking worse while the Nogitsune was looking better, wouldn't that imply that there's actually an inverse relationship between them? So killing the Nogitsune wouldn't kill Styles if we follow that logic. What's killing Styles is the fact that the Nogitsune is still alive and connected to him and taking his life force or something. I don't think they're convinced that killing the Nagitsune will kill Styles. I think they're just worried that could be the case and don't want to take the chance. I just think it would have made more sense if there were anything at all to support that, like maybe in the scroll. Yeah, and then the damn thing would have been pointless. <laughs> it's a huge risk to let the Nagitsune live and continue killing people on the off chance it would also kill Styles. Yeah, they kind of just came up with that worry out of nowhere. Especially since they saw the Oni leave the kanji symbol for self on Styles, That means he's fully himself. To me, that means he's not dependent on the Nogitsune. They could at least plan to hurt the Nogitsune and see if it also hurts Styles. Yeah. Yeah. Lydia tells the Nogitsune that her friends are here, sure that they're going to kill him. The Nogitsune says that's why he brought Lydia. They need to be close before he made his next move. Just the Oni appear around him, the Nogitsune breaks a kaiken. I love how he says he needed Lydia to let him know when they were close, but then he waits until the Oni actually appear in front of him to do it. This move causes the Oni to switch sides and protect the Nogitsune. When did the Nogitsune even get that? Uh, I think he kept it after he used one to stab himself. It seems like Nishiko should have been freaking out way more about the missing tail. That's very true. While the others fight the Oni, Scott and Styles find Lydia. But Lydia is horrified that Styles came with Scott. He isn't supposed to be there. She asks if they got her message. Scott is confused about what's happening. Lydia demands to know who else is there. Why didn't they call Derek? What, so he could die instead, Kate? He's good at not staying dead. The man has done it so many times. I'm just saying. Well, they tried, but Derek hasn't put any minutes on his burner phone. (laughs) But we can all agree that Arden looks so good in the fight with the Oni. Yes. I feel like maybe the reason Lydia's attitude toward the others coming to get her was so confusing is because what they were trying to say is that Lydia only wanted certain friends of hers to come. Right. She didn't want Styles to come, and she didn't want Allison to come. The problem is, the message, don't find me, does not in any way communicate that. <laughs> she didn't have enough glass to write, don't find me, Allison, and Styles. She absolutely had enough glass. All right, that's accurate. Scott, Styles, and Lydia run back toward the fight, but Styles collapses in the tunnel. Lydia stops to help him while Scott continues. Outside, Allison's well-aimed arrow saves Isaac's life, but while she's distracted, another Oni stabs her. No! I have to say it. I like that you can see the blood splatter on the wall behind her. Dark, but I do love the shot of her hand falling. It's a beautiful shot, and her nails look perfect. Scott arrives only in time to catch Allison as she falls. Allison asks whether Lydia is all right, which Scott confirms. He can't take her pain, but Allison says that's because she's not feeling any pain. She's in the arms of her first love, someone she still loves. 
Oh, Allison tries to give Scott a message for her dad, but she never gets the words out and dies in his arms. Chris comes upon the scene, but his daughter is already gone. The episode ends there. Oh, guys, remember watching this live when it got spoiled seconds before it happened on screen? Oh, shit. I forgot that happened. What happened? This was back when MTV was doing hashtags during episodes. So right before her death happened, it said on screen, hashtag R.I.P. Allison. <laughs> they should have gone with something less revealing, like hashtag this is perfect. Yeah. Oh, wow. That sucks. Oof. Hashtag just kidding. Hashtag we so didn't mean it. Hashtag oh no. Oops. Yeah, it happened. <laughs> but you know what doesn't suck? This episode. It's a really good episode. It's it's a great episode. Just fantastic. All right, Wolfies, that wraps up the beta section for Insatiable. And now we're about to dive into spoilers, not just for this episode, but for the whole Teen Wolf series. If you want to stay spoiler free for all of the excellent stories to come, jump out now and we'll catch you next week. But if this isn't your first time in Beacon Hills and you want to hear more, don't move a muscle. Here comes the alpha. Trying to help. I can hear them. They scream. That's got to be terrifying. What? Are, why do they scream? They scream when someone's about to die. Are they screaming right now? How many of them? All of them. All right, Wolfies, now we're going to go to our interview with Turner Munch, art coordinator for Teen Wolf. Let's have a listen. Turner, how did Teen Wolf come into your life? Teen Wolf came into my life after I began work with the producers on a project right before season three, the first part of season three. I worked up with a production designer named Rusty Smith, who we were working on a Little Rascals reboot with Mike Elliott, um, who is a colleague of Joe Janier, who produced Teen Wolf. And then they hired Rusty for Teen Wolf. And he asked me if I wanted to come on. So it was just by happenstance and just by where I was. And then I found myself learning about that seems like how it was for everyone can you explain for our audience what exactly an art department coordinator does it can vary per show but the the general idea is that a production designer is the head of an art department and you have various designers doing specific things underneath their supervision the designers and through their vision and the art department coordinator is there to support all of the art department's needs and their research and materials and so it can be anything from like with Teen Wolf where we're researching some old ancient orchard device or something. But then we have to figure out how to build that. And so then we source out different places who make like foam versions of these things. And so it's it's a lot of just yeah. like, oh, we, you want this. Okay. And then our art director would be would tell us, let's contact people to see how we can find X, Y, Z. And not just with small things like that, also our big sets, our big church sets and everything that we built, working with what we're going to do and 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 sort of helping those who are making the plan on how we're going to do it. That's awesome. I remember many times when we'd be in the writer's room and Joe would be in there with us and we'd be pitching an idea to Joe because we were like, Joe's got the money. So <laughs> he, did, he needs to say yes to this before we can actually do anything with it. And then a couple of times he'd be like, 
I we'd pitch something like a like a a mission a mission church in Mexico, and he's like, I don't know. Uh, let me go talk to Rusty, and then he would just walk through one door, and then he's right there in the art department, and he'd come back twenty minutes later. He's like, Yeah, I think we, I bet we could do that. And so it's like, All right, well then, I guess interior church. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that would happen a lot for us where things like that would happen from the writers and from from you all. Everything that you did was was more like, wait, is this like a in the script thing or are we just checking? Do you have any fun memories from the Teen Wolf set that you can share? Not necessarily from like on set on production because the art department is a prep production. So we're pretty much done by the time the crew shows up. But yeah, I mean, going back even to the the old Spanish mission that you were talking about, we made a little village, you know, small village out of a lot of things um, that was pretty exciting in terms of how it worked. Because I don't remember the ranch that we shot in, but we designed this ranch to look like a little village with this nice Spanish church in it. And it was just really fun seeing it all put together because it was one of the more vast outside things we did. And so as it was all coming together, it felt like a little town, you know, it felt yeah. really good. I don't know that that's a memory per se, as much as I just remember looking at it when we were getting close to done thinking like, dang, this is, this is cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a fantastic We built set. this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it actually was the original American sniper set. So it started oh, out God. as like, in Afghanistan, something, something that we had to design away from that, obviously. So it was like really trying to picture what ours was going to look like was very difficult. And then we were like, oh, it worked. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah it is really cool. It was really, like, I got to visit that set. I think it was when we were filming the finale, when all the, when the big battle happens out there and all that. And so, yeah, that was a lot of fun. But like, speaking of crazy stuff, I will, I've, I've mentioned this in multiple podcasts, but I, I still can't believe we never did it. But the giant forest set that we had the oh, model for that was hanging yes. above the giant printer. And yes. it's like, that would have been the coolest thing ever. And it would have turned every night overnight shoot into a regular day shoot yep. see we we made the mistakes that that you writers didn't which was you guys checked with joe joe Moneybags while you were writing rusty sometimes would design some crazy cool things like a forest on stage and then joe would go no we don't have the money for that why did you do this <laughs> <laughs> but we could have saved so oh, much man. money. Granted, I kind of understand because I think by the time all that was coming up, coming about, we knew we were moving stages. So yep. it was like, why are we? Why do stuff if we're just gonna have to take it down and all that? But it, it would have been so cool because I always remember like seeing the behind the scenes stuff from that Ridley Scott movie Legend, where they built a massive mm-hmm. forest for this yeah. movie, and it's like that could have been our forest. And you're right; that means we never have to show up on set at 8 p.m. ever. Yeah, again. I never have to. I would never have to show up in the morning for my 6 a.m. start seeing the crew just walking to their cars going like, oh, sorry, buddy. (laughs) Sorry, buddy. You know what inspired the forest, though, was the uh, Star Trek Into the Dark, Into the Darkness, the second one, the Mm -hmm. second Chris Pine one. The cold open is like them running through this like pink forest. It's that's what gave Rusty the idea oh, wow. right at that time. And he and he saw the behind the scenes of that and was like, we should do that first. <laughs> it would have been really fun, but it would have been cool. So what was it like getting to work with two production designers? It was interesting. You know, I sort of didn't 
stick around that long with Tom because right as he was starting up, I helped him get going for a few months. And then he asked me if I wanted to stay on permanently, but I had a lot of grad school interviews, believe it or not, for like the next month. And that's right when shooting was going to start for five. Uh, And so I I have a little bit of a hand in sort of the more permanent set things on season five. But then I just basically was like, listen, I'd love to work for you. But like, I've got these things coming down. It essentially means the first like three weeks of filming, I am like woefully unavailable because I also have to prep a lot of stuff. And there's a lot of, you know, all the interview things with that. And so it was, it was unfortunate because I would have stuck around, but um, naturally I was like, but I, I get it sort of is what it is. I was very jealous once I saw the tunnels and everything else that he put together, but I was like, dang, this would have stayed fun for sure. Absolutely. Did you have a favorite character on the show slash did you watch the show? I did definitely while I was on it. And then I stuck with most of it, you know, beyond that, just because of at that point, you know, so many people involved and 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 you sort of have such a personal connection. You know, you shouldn't say styles because everybody says style. <laughs> <laughs> He's just, it's easy to love him. It's very, yeah. yeah I mean, from the, the first scene of, you know, the pilot and Dylan O'Brien is so good and so charming, like right away. It worked for me like it did for everybody else. First shot hanging upside down, saying, Let's go find a body. It's like, Oh, well, I love you already. Yeah. This is incredible. Super fun. Which Teen Wolf cast or crew member would make the best alpha? Well, first of all, he is an alpha, and Jeff Davis, the showrunner, without question, would run the show. But I'm trying to think of something a little more fun. I think Dave Daniels, our DP, I would call him the peaceful king because he was a very nice man. Yeah, and yeah. It was super fun, obviously very talented. But I think if I was in a pack, it would be with Dave Daniel because we would just hang out and drink espresso. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good answer. That, that sounds answer. great. It does. I would uh, submit an application to a pack that just sits around and drinks espresso for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It would be a time of peace. Yeah. <laughs> Turner, how would you compare working on Teen Wolf to something like Goliath? There's a lot of similarities, you know, you get your sets and you hear what the writers are saying about it. You hear what the designer wants to do, but they were both raised reality, funny enough, even though Goliath is a bit more just in a modern day reality. But it's sort of, it was always explained to us as a raised reality of like the crappy apartment looks very crappy and the luxury lawyers are even nicer offices than they would ever have, like more than that would ever exist in reality. So it was always about bumping it up here and there. And Teen Wolf had its own sort of set of rules of tone, you know, obviously it's always riffing on horror. Um, and so that's the mega difference. You know, we we never used white. If anything that was white in Teen Wolf was actually gray, was a light gray. And it was because we were always living in this dark toned, like horror world, riffing on all the movies of old, you know? And so, you know, Teen Wolf was very focused on tone and very focused on really nailing those horror homages and horror bits mm-hmm. that really shift your attention in a different way. But, you know, you know, the work is very similar almost anywhere you go. It just depends on like what you need to focus on. What were the highlights of working in the art department in season 3B in particular? What sticks out to me always that was like the coolest thing we did was probably our snowy uh, like Japanese fight scene. So that fight scene was cool. The snow stuff was cool. It was just like, whoa, this is just like 
something else. Yeah, I don't know. That was just on a whole nother level that that was very exciting and so interesting with an interesting monster and an interesting set, interesting snow element to it all, interesting action, that it was just hitting on all of it. That set kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah, because you know, it's like the, car- the the kids are running into the school and they just go through some doors and all of a sudden they're somewhere else now. And it just kind of like slaps you in the face with how beautiful and, oh, and gorgeous. just different it is. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, probably my was, favorite set. <laughs> was the long white room 3A or 3B? Because that, that, that was 3B. Yeah. That also was like. Obviously, that actually didn't take a ton of stuff from us. It was just like we had to get a we had to hire the best foam carver in the biz, apparently, who had to chainsaw this giant piece of foam to look like the tree stump and then lay out the tile and make that all work. I remember going in there thinking like how cool that was for a location that we just kind of stumbled on where it's like it's just one building away. And I don't yeah, know, like, Joe or whoever room? found it was like, oh, and we have access to this. So, you know, we'll yeah. do something with it if you want. And then you're just like, my God, this is incredible. Yeah. yeah. That was cool. Super well. Yeah. Just kind of almost free production value where it's like, you just find a location, turn the lights on and put a stump in the <laughs> room and you're like done. Call yeah, it really was. Was. yeah. Call it a day. We're, we're, we're fantastic. We're fantastic. Turner, what was a typical day like for you on Teen Wolf? Like I said, we weren't on set. So for us, it would be to get into the office, uh, you know, anywhere from 6 to 8 a.m., depending on what the scope of the work was. And then, yeah, it was kind of always being led by the designer and the art director in terms of what the needs were. You know, usually if we were getting a call about something for the set that day, then something has gone wrong. (laughs) because <laughs> um, we're supposed mm-hmm. to be ahead of the game right but so assuming all that's taken care of it's it's looking at probably the next two episodes ahead what are the big sets what are the stages of work we're on you know some are in the design phase other we're sourcing materials for and others we're currently building and how are all those going and are are, are all these being approved and executed in the ways possible and just kind of keeping on that sort of you know relay what's prepping what's building and 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 what information do we have of what's coming which was frequently you know sparse so rusty would have to do his best job of hearing what the rumors were heard we're going to this and we're doing this and that was pretty much the main the main squeeze you know and then just if we're shooting on stage going and taking a watch you know for half hour or so whenever i can find some time all this work happening behind the scenes that are behind the scenes on the show you know and and it's just fantastic it's it's so interesting that these layers of sets being designed and built and sourced and 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 all that type of stuff that you don't even think about you know because you're everybody else is thinking about so much other stuff and then you just like well we showed up the call sheet says to be here at this time and then you do and there's a classroom with a tree stump in and you're like okay yeah yeah good (laughs) job Good job, team. You know, I'm sure I was I was annoyed at the time, but it's always funny to think about when you guys uh, when they would shoot in the hallways, like right by us, mm-hmm. if they needed like a hospital hallway yep. set, and so it would just be like we have to be quiet on our computers. But I'm like, I'm just trying to work. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's uh, and then there's a werewolf, or there's two werewolves with their shirts off walking by, and you're like. <laughs> <laughs> No, we we've spoken to uh, other people on the show about that and how lunch was always so much fun to go to because it it's like, you know, there's there's the crew and then there's that pretty cast and then there's <laughs> monsters. 
just in yep. there with you eating a delicious meal from Laurent and, and all that. And, and so it's just like going to lunch is like, Ooh, who are we going to see today? You know, like what, what monsters are, are working today? And yeah, <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, it was super fun. So the next question is actually a fan question. Who of the cast do you think would be the best at stage acting? So I went to Comic-Con this last Comic-Con with Teen Wolf and, and, and a few other things. And I was surprised at how affectionate and how compelling Posey is on stage. I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, but he's he knows how to rile up a crowd so well. And his energy is so radiant in person, especially. And so I think I would actually love to see him in like some sort of fun comedy or something. He can obviously do drama. We know that when he's having fun, when Posey is having fun, there's some like radiant, like joy happening with him. And I uh-huh. think that he would do really well on stage if he hasn't already. It's a fantastic answer. Yeah. That's a great description of what his energy is like in person. And I think that we felt that going to the premiere when he went on stage to speak to people, he gets the energy up for sure. Oh, yeah. 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 He's a good hype man. Did you get to keep any souvenirs from the Teen Wolf set? So I still work for Joe. And so this doesn't count because I'm still technically in the Teen Wolf offices. And I'm not in my office right now, but I have one of the Dread Doctor masks in the uh, awesome in oh, my office. That's um, so but cool. it's not technically mine. I haven't like taken it technically because I'm still here. <laughs> but um, the jacket's there too. The like long, like it's not tweed, but it looks like tweed. That like long trench coaty thing is, is also there. Um, awesome. Just sitting there looking cool. That's awesome. <laughs> Oh, man, I am jealous. Yeah. Very jealous. So I guess technically you still work for Joe, but would you be interested in returning to the world of Beacon Hills? Yeah, I would. You know, it it was especially, you know, I don't I don't art department coordinate anymore. But like from an art department standpoint, it was always a fun show to do because so many shows that are in like a normal reality, they go to locations, they go to and we did too. But there was just so much extra that needed to be built. We were building more and like designing fun stuff like an abandoned church or all these things for fight scenes. Or we did Derek's Loft and then we filled it with water, you know, like all these crazy fun things. So like on an art front, like I don't know who wouldn't want to work on it because it was always like very exciting. And yeah, and and to Beacon Hills both in the world. So because we helped design it, we even helped design like the map and the layout of Beacon Hills itself. You know, we all sort of worked on it with Jeff Davis and with the writers and 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 the designers. Um, and so I feel so connected to it at this point that yeah, I, it wouldn't feel even hard to go back because it would just we all have such a piece of ownership which is you know rare you don't sometimes you just feel like you go and do a show you do a job you do a good job it's fun you know but mm-hmm. there was some sort of personal connection of ownership that i think a lot of us felt on team no absolutely it was like when i when i got to come back to work on the movie and then saw you every day at the offices and all that it felt like no time at all had passed yeah it was just can- like i'd just been away for a long weekend and yeah. now we were just back at the office yeah and uh yeah it was, it was great you have a favorite werewolf movie? I guess it would just be the Werewolf in Paris movie. Forgive me for not saying the full title. An American uh, Werewolf in Paris? Yeah, thank you. I'm trying to think like what else really, because that I saw that so young and it kind of freaked me out. So it's like, it kind of had its intention. Yeah, I, it's probably that. I don't know. You know, it's so funny because so much of the werewolf genre is kind of not aimed at a 35-year-old 
guy as much anymore. <laughs> and so I don't know that it like hits me the way it did. Like I saw the Twilight series. I like the Twilight series very much. I like the first one, especially. But I think I just still like, it's like you see one young and it scares you. And it like has the like horrific effect. Definitely a good choice. All werewolves are great. So you recently made the plunge into directing animation for Mattel. How did that come about? Because of my live action directing experience and because of my clowning, believe it or not. So I did a lot of, uh, I started a physical theater company, um, which was a clown theater company uh, where we do certain clown shows, um, both with the red nose and without. But that experience of directing physical performance and me with my live action experience and just my live action reel of shorts and different things I directed were a sort of combination that this production company who does these scripted and short form animated things for Mattel for a bunch of their different lines, Hot Wheels, Monster High, Enchantimals, and soon Barbie. All of their stuff is done through motion capture. And so I guess at this point, they were looking for someone who could do a little bit more specific work with physical performance and with the motion capture performers, which I had never done motion capture, but I had certainly directed for over a decade, you know, physical performers. And I'd done plenty of my own works in live action. And so their idea was instead of getting an animated director, let's get someone who like knows where they want the camera and who can who can direct our uh, performers better or yeah. just more specific. And then they'll help me through a lot of the animation stuff, which I've since learned, but, and, you know, I'm learning every day, but, but so it was a very interesting thing because animation is not my world. And all of a sudden, you know, every day I'm getting all these submissions of things and notes and drawovers and all these, all these things. So all of a sudden I'm directing animation. Fantastic. I love to hear it. Yeah. That's really, really cool. Yeah. That's such an, an interesting avenue to open up. Yeah. And we have a werewolf in Monster High, so like, you know. There you go. Full circle. Yeah, Claudine's (laughs) our wolf. I just did a Monster High music video with them and a few other characters. Very nice. So our next question is also a fan question. Would you have ever wanted to direct an episode of Teen Wolf? And if so, who of the cast would you most like to direct? Ooh, that's interesting. Uh, for sure, yeah, for sure. Direct an episode of Teen Wolf. That's awesome. The the amount of fun stuff getting to shoot in any of those sets and doing all the fun action and shape shifting and all the. Uh, I'm a huge fantasy fan, so all the mythology, all the that would have been a dream come true, really. And um, in terms of cast, I'm trying to think of an interesting because I've already said the two leads, which is cheating at this point. <laughs> um, well, we had an embarrassment of riches on that on, on that show as far as cast goes. So yeah, you know who would be it would be the twins, actually. I think oh. I'd have a good time. Okay. Yeah. I would have a good time. Hecklin would be fun too. But I think that the twins, it's and it's fun to see them keep popping up. I saw them pop up in the Batman and all that. Yeah, stuff. that was great. <laughs> so. And so, I don't know, they were always super fun. I got to meet them, you know, and chat with them. Like on their first day, they showed up to the office and the stage and they were super nice. And I don't know, I just always had a good time around them. And so I just think that they were just fun to be around and we could we could have some fun on set and, and just do cool stuff. <laughs> hey, that's perfect. If you could be any Teen Wolf creature, what would you be? So I love Berserker mythology. And so it would probably be a Berserker. I find just their 
history so interesting and to the point that I almost wish that there was, and I know there's sort of pieces of this, but I wish there was just essentially Vikings. But if we pretended like berserkers were real, Teen Wolf, we didn't necessarily get to this, but I love berserkers and the idea that they they enrage, right? They get super mm-hmm. mad and super strong. But there is a point, it's, it's like the Hulk, but it's limited to the point that there is a point where they won't be able to control it anymore they'll just give into madness until their heart stops oh wow Uh, and so i always there's something about berserkers in general that i always found so freaking cool that's awesome good pick yeah yeah good pick i think you're the first person to say berserker yeah uh, yeah that's awesome (laughs) that's really cool Turner, are there any upcoming projects that you can tell us about? Plenty of Mattel stuff. Barbie's on the way. (laughs) And uh, yeah, you know, at some point soon, I'm working on a fun short with my wife um, who wrote a beautiful script. I can't give too much away yet, but it's a tale of a witch who has lost her sister. And all I can describe it as is a live action Miyazaki approach. Nice. I like Um, all those words. Yeah, method- <laughs> yeah, all those words, yeah. methodical, beautiful, sweet, but also loads of mythology and loads of interesting and fun creatures and characters. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, well, that sounds please, great. Yeah. Please let us know when that's around to be put into our eyeballs because oh, yeah. that's right <laughs> up all of our alley. So I'll that, be shouting that. Sounds that. Amazing. I will yes. be shouting that one to the heavens. Awesome. Uh, it's going to be a huge undertaking. It'll probably be in the next six months or so. We'll see, you know, fingers, you know. Yeah. But that's the big, that's the next big stab for me. Very nice. Fantastic. Well, Turner, thank you so much for, for joining us yes. today and, and coming on the show and taking this wonderful stroll back down memory lane to Beacon Hills, this place that yeah. we all love. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just fantastic getting to talk to you and to reminisce about something we just love and adore. So thank you, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. We had a great time talking with Turner, but now it's back to spoilers. I miss what could have been with Styles and Allison's relationship. I miss what could have been with Allison and Kira teaming up more. Yeah, there's so much more they could have done with Allison. I'm glad that she went out on Crystal Reed's terms, but there was still so much more with her, so much more space for her, and like you guys said, her relationships to grow. The scene with Allison saying goodbye to her dad in case something happens to him is a great piece of misdirection. Yeah, and Scott's going to regret the phone call where he told Allison they knew where Lydia was, at least, you know, for the next 15 years. I have to ask, why didn't Scott bite her? Or at least offer the bite to her? She was awake and coherent for a couple minutes. Yeah, I wondered that too. I know he was hesitant to bite Styles, but they were trying to find another way. Obviously, in this situation, there is no other way. She's dying if you don't bite her. Right. And as we see later, Kate got turned when her throat got cut. So it's possible to turn even when you've already been mortally injured. Speaking of Kate, it's Kate who's shooting at the twins, right? I honestly can't remember. Guess we'll see. With Allison, though, I think it would have been interesting if Scott had said, I'll bite you, and she had said no. And then in that moment, he has to control himself and do what she wants, even though he wants to save her life. This just stood out to me even more on this rewatch. Like the first time I think I was just shocked, but now I'm like, you're an alpha, bite her. (laughs) It could have been because she was just that opposed to being a werewolf or that she learned about the page story and didn't want to die in agony when she could die this way in no pain. I think sometimes we have a hard time letting characters just be lost in a moment. I get what makes sense for a story, but Scott's a person like, you know, in crisis. But he bites Liam in a crisis. 
accurate, but in that situation, he was doing it to hold on to him. His hands are not free in the scene. Okay, but aren't you basically saying it's instinct? And so then wouldn't his instinct as Alpha be to bite? The bite is a gift. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's the shock, though. But are you telling me that's true for every character that's present for that? I mean, even if Scott was too distraught to think straight, it feels like someone there would have thought of it and said something. Like, Mishiko and Kira don't have any skin in the game, really. They don't know Allison that well. That's true, and uh, you make a solid point. I like the idea that someone else suggested he bite her, but she says no. Yeah, if they were alone, that could have been interesting in its own way, that in the heat of the moment, it didn't even occur to him, and then he has to live with that. Oh yeah, that could have been really interesting. Scott beating himself up thinking, I should have tried, I should have done something. It didn't get included in the show, but in one of the original drafts, they talked about how one of the reasons for not buying Styles is that Styles had previously said he didn't want to be a werewolf. So Scott didn't want to do it without him consenting. I don't think Allison had ever made that statement. If I remember correctly, they never discussed the bite as having been a possibility. That's what's even weirder. It just never comes up, even later, despite the fact that it's the obvious move when you stop and think about it. Yeah, I don't think they ever talk about it. That's an extra layer of drama and conflict and trauma for the characters instead of it just being something where the fans are like, how is this never even mentioned? I know the scene is bittersweet and maybe they felt like discussing the bite would have disrupted that, but they still could have brought it up subsequently. It could have played out exactly like it does in this scene, except Scott says, I'll bite you. And Allison says, no, it's perfect. It especially stands out since we had just talked about the possibility of biting Styles. And on top of that, as you said, Calissa, so much of 3A revolved around the page story and the complexities of giving the bite. These are huge recent plot points. So it feels like they missed out on an opportunity for some really interesting character drama, either in this scene or subsequently, or both. I mean, Scott dealing with this guilt. Or someone holding it against him. I'm not sure who that would be, though. Chris could. Or Isaac. Isaac, that's an interesting idea. Why did you let our girlfriend die? Right? And I'm not saying anyone would hold it against him forever. Maybe just a first instinct thing. Why didn't you bite her? You could have saved her. Why didn't you? Yeah, I never thought about it before y'all brought it up. But I do think the scene we got is fantastic. And the moment is shocking. Yeah. I didn't think about it previously but as we're watching over it now since we've seen the teen wolf movie i think i would have really liked for her to say to her dad what she had wanted to say to scott in that last moment to have him tell her dad i know it was probably just something like i love you but since we didn't get that final like she dies in the middle of trying to say it i would have yeah. liked that continued in the movie when she comes back yeah, yeah that that's, a, that's a good idea i found a document that had a bunch of notes on it i guess from this episode in the finale and the note it was called genie in the bottle i don't know if you remember writing this well i do not so i assume you are the one who wrote it i probably was but it's been 83 years (laughs) but i thought we could go through and read some of the stuff because it just seemed really interesting there's a breakdown of the characters for the rest of the season like uh, asking questions about them and everything so i just thought it would be fun to go through it together if you'd like to start us off will i would like that so originally this episode I'm, i guess was titled genie in a bottle or at least that was kind of a working title we were using and some of the thoughts we were thinking <laughs> back in the day was does the nagitsune want to get into nishiko's body she was too powerful in 1943 but now without her tails nishiko is not powerful enough to fend him off 
now than Nagitsune wants Nishiko's body because she's an immortal, unlike Styles or Reese, who would rot away. Everything that Nagitsune has done this season was a trick to get Nishiko to use up her tails and make herself weak enough to be possessed. When Nishiko becomes the host, there's no way to kill her or the Nagitsune. Uh, Scott and Kira fight Void Nishiko. In the heat of the moment, Scott jams his fingers into the back of her neck and goes into Nishiko's mind. It's the Japanese garden. Maybe it's snowing. Young Nishiko is chained to the gates. Scott frees her and they confront the Nagitsune. Now you're both trapped in here with me. Well, that's not a good version. Now you're both <laughs> trapped in here with me. Actually, oh he's trapped in there with them. In the Japanese garden, Scott and young Nishiko battle the Nagitsune. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, that would have been really, really interesting to see, like, that the entire plan was for him to take over her body. Yeah, that's fun. We don't lose it, but we move away from it towards the end of the season where it's like, the Nagitsune is a trickster, you know? So it's kind of like, what's the thing we're not seeing? What's the trick? You know, it's because it's like, oh, we'll take it over Styles. Like, yeah, but what what else? Like, what is the other thing? There's, you know, something else actually happening here. So, yeah, the only thing there is that I kind of liked that one of the reasons it took them so long to figure out that it was Styles, even once it probably should have been obvious yeah. to the people around him. One of those reasons was the assumption that the Nogitsude would want someone powerful. Right. And... I kind of like the turn where they realize, no, that's that's not its motivation. That's not the reason it's making its decisions. It wants Styles. It doesn't matter that Styles' body isn't powerful. There's something else happening there. And I think we could have gotten just as much narratively out mm -hmm. of it still being Styles, but actually talking about why it chose Styles, because right. we never come back to that. Right. No, absolutely. For me, it's kind of like, since we don't talk about it, I, I do like, and I think, you know, we talked about this, I think in the past where it's, it wants chaos, strife and pain. And it chose the right person for that. You know, that's like, what's, who can I take that'll cause just the most heartache? And then right. he finds the right person. Which I really like, but we never come back to that question at right. all. Right. Yeah. No, we don't. Um, so, And I feel like if it had turned out that the whole thing was a trick, to get Noshiko's body because she's more powerful. It also, in a way, would have felt kind of full circle-y because they mm -hmm. had assumed all along that the, the Nogitsune would want the body of a supernatural, someone very yeah. powerful. Yeah. It would have yeah. been like, oh my God, does it not want that? That makes no sense. I don't know how to think like a Nogitsune. Right. Right? And then if it turned out that it was all a trick, the trick part would make sense, but it would be like, okay, so it, it really was what we thought in the first place, that it would want someone powerful. And I just really like the idea that it doesn't care about that. So I I like it the way it is. I would have liked to have more discussion about why it chose Styles, but right. this yeah. is an, an interesting other avenue to explore. Yeah. Then it gets an A's like, I'm here to chew bubblegum and cause chaos, strife, and pain, and I'm all out of bubblegum. <laughs> <laughs> so in this scenario where Nishiko is taken over by the Nogitsune, they win, but does Nishiko sacrifice her own life to stop the Nogitsune? Does the Nogitsune going into Nishiko cause Styles to begin to disappear? Or do they trick the Nogitsune into going back into Reese's body? This would bring the bandage man back. Then they kill it? This would give our heroes a mission to steal the body. 
is there no consciousness in Reese's body and the Nogitsune would no longer be bound by residual emotions? It's a body heist. I'm really interested in that phrase, bound by residual emotions. I didn't get the sense that it was. And I actually think, I don't know if we've discussed that or not, or if it was just something Kalissa and I have discussed in the years since this season aired, but I like the idea that the Nogitsune keeps pieces of mm-hmm. each of the human beings that it inhabits emotionally, yeah. Em- yeah. emotional mm-hmm. pieces. So even though itself, it's not an emotional creature, it almost becomes like one because it has this sort of weird mismatch of a bunch of different emotions from a bunch of different people and a bunch of sentimentalities and yeah. things like that. That being said, I don't think the show actually reflects that. We don't really touch on any of that. So I think it's interesting, this idea of no residual emotions, because I was like, wait, is that happening? Right. Yeah. Is it getting residual emotions from Styles? Yeah, that would have been interesting. It would have been very, very Swamp Thing-esque, because a lot of people think Swamp Thing is a man who became a plant monster. And but when in reality, it's a plant monster that has the memories of a man and thinks it's a man type of thing, you know, so it's Mm -hmm. so but that idea is interesting where if it goes into Reese, it has all these emotions that Reese had like right maybe at the end or something. No, it didn't. That's that that's that's what it's saying is, is there no consciousness in Reese's body and the no Kitsune would no longer be bound by residual emotions. Right, but I mean, I'm guessing like there would have been residual emotions at some point in a body, but not Reese's at this point. Right, is, okay, is right. what yeah, that is right. saying. Yes, yes, yes. But yeah, I I was just interested in that because I I was like, have we gotten any of that at all this season? Have we gotten the whole residual emotions thing? I did, however, read a really good fic about Void Styles seducing Derek because of having a little bit of residual emotion from Styles, and it was really good. Oh. We'll link it in the show notes. Once that that residual D. (laughs) So the first character here we have is Peter. Malia is approached by Void Styles, and Peter saves her, gaining her trust, even if he's not ready yet to reveal his connection to her. Is Peter working to dissolve Scott's pack, the twins and Isaac, and grow his own pack with Malia? Maybe he already knows that Kate is still alive and has been working with her. Oh! That's what he said for so long! Giving her a big entrance at the end. Peter offers to help Ethan when he wants Danny to get the bite. Ooh. Whoa. That's that's a big drop there. He knows an alpha who will do anything for the right price. Kincaid. Kincaid might still want the scroll. It's worth millions. Maybe Danny is injured by Void Styles or the Oni and Ethan thinks the bite is the only way to save him. Perhaps things are complicated when Brayden wants the scroll too. The scroll may be the key to changing the host of the Nagitsune. Does Peter hire Brayden to find Malia? Wow, there's a lot to unpack there. There is. Well, it's because again, when we're doing this, we're just throwing ideas out, you know, and then and then honing them as we go. So yeah, it's reads like a document of crazy because that's kind of what it is in a writer's room. I like that it says Peter saves Malia, gaining her trust, even if he's not ready yet to reveal his connection to her. Translation in my head. He's waiting to figure out if he can use this piece of information to his advantage. Oh, I feel no, like absolutely. Peter is very much one of those people who uses informational warfare. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where it's absolutely. like, now, now, hang on. Yeah. 
knowledge is power. Do I want to share that with someone before I've really checked every angle to make sure that keeping it a secret doesn't give me any kind of leverage anywhere? Right. Absolutely. I'm a little offended that it says, is Peter working to dissolve Scott's pack? Parentheses, the twins and Isaac. The twins and Isaac are his pack? <laughs> oh, no, I, I, I think I, I, when I read you. that. No, no, when I read that, I thought he, he th- those were the weak links in in the pack. That I think Scott would believe that they are pack members, but not the pack. I think I, I took that to mean that those are the targets. For the okay, well, now I'm offended on Isaac's part. <laughs> you just reverse polarity there. That's all that. Yeah, because that makes no sense at all. <laughs> Isaac is so loyal to Scott. That, I know. I mean, the twins, obviously. Yes, yeah. go after the twins. They yeah. probably not that loyal. No. Nope. I can't believe you guys were going to have Danny possibly try to get the bite. I do what? remember. I, I remember this. Yeah, I do remember that. Um, it would have been cool to bring Brayden back in, although, of course, we are going to be seeing her next season. Yeah. And I think it would have been cool for the scroll to have been worth something after we spent an entire episode heisting over it. Can you guys tell I'm not over this? I'm really mad. <laughs> because because I feel like, in general, Teen Wolf is pretty good about setup and payoff, but I really don't like when you have almost an entire episode structured around finding something and then what you find does not matter at all. Yeah. Not even because of what they found in it. Like they got it and then Deaton was like, yeah, but like my Japanese isn't that good. Are you serious? (laughs) How is this? What? He gave them busy work. What kind of stupid ass? Like. Go ask someone who's fluent what it means, you fool. Get your Google Pixel out of your pocket Jesus. and translate it. And is then, your sister busy? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. And then they and then they translate it and he's like, Yeah, but like, did they mean just sort of metaphorically? Like, bitch, were you gonna say that no matter what the scroll said? What what were we doing this for? We had some thoughts for Lydia. Do we save seeing Lydia and Void Styles until the middle of the episode? Let the characters and the audience fear for Lydia and what Void Styles may have done to her. Why has Void Styles taken Lydia? Is taking Lydia of Void Styles' is Tanuki move? I'm not sure what that means. It probably has is that something the divine to do- move? It, it, I was about to say, I don't know, but it probably has something to do with Go. By taking Lydia, Void Styles has made a move on the opposite side of the board. Does Void Styles want to control the Oni? Can he make Lydia help with this? Is Lydia some kind of Oni repellent? Can she locate them? Oni repellent, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oni repellent. Just bring some Lydia and you're all good. Right. Is Lydia still sensing a major death? Does Void Styles think it's his death she's sensing? Is Void Styles using the Oni to kill random townspeople? He's doing this to torture Lydia through her power and force her to tell him a piece of information she needs. Where is she? What is the Nagitsune doing with her? Does he need her for something? Of course he does. Where are they? (laughs) (laughs) Is Lydia subverting the Nagitsune's plans? She uses her emotional connection to Styles. I do like that idea that he tortures her by killing randos because she can feel it coming. If if he has like ten people in front of her, and and like she and he's just like walking back and forth with a sword, and she knows like it, it she feels it's like this force upon her type mm-hmm. of thing, like that 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 would have been interesting. That would have been really cool. And I for once would love to see. I know this would never, well, not never, but 
You know, like whenever is that moment when the bad guy has a good guy, but he also has like two other good guys. And he's like, I'm going to shoot them in the head unless you tell me what I need to know. And they put the gun to their head and they're and they're they cock the gun that should have already been cocked anyway, but they're doing it for real emphasis. And then, uh, you know, and then right as they're squeezing the trigger, they're like, no, wait, I'll tell you. I would love for once to see the person make the hardest choice and let their friends be executed because telling the bad guy whatever they need to know is so much worse. You know what I mean? That it's like, I have to, to save a billion people. I've got to watch my two best friends get killed because hey, Kate, I don't think we should go anywhere with Will anymore. <laughs> hey, 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 y'all know I would kill a demonic baby for y'all. Mm. So that's, I wouldn't give that baby what guys. it wants. I'm going to curb stomp that demonic baby, but I just would like to see that happen. Cause it's always the same. It's like the bad guy, they never hold out, you know, and I would love to, and that would be that would have been so interesting if if the Nuggets and they had captured some townsfolk, some some Beacon Hill folks, some Beaconites, Beaconites, some hill folk, some hill, some hill folk, some hills have eyes folk. <laughs> and he's doing it as torture and it it's literally torturing her because she could feel it and all of that. And but she just lets like 10 people die, you know, or not lets, but she has to it has to happen. Because it gets an A cannot get the thing, you know? I can go ahead and tell you that that would not ever happen on Teen Wolf. Oh, and yeah, I know. Let me tell but... you why. The way the whole thing was handled with Styles and the one who dies and then it clearly isn't Styles' fault. It's an accident and not oh, even self-defense, but they kind of play it like it's self-defense. That's a Devin completely or different something like that. I think no, that... But I, is it? Because I yeah, feel like that illustrates... No, but it illustrates the the, the writer's hesita- hesitation to commit to having one of the characters do something that is as definitive as letting someone die. Oh, yeah, If they couldn't do it then, they obviously weren't going to do that with Lydia. That's my point. But no, I, I would like to see that in a story sometime where there's someone has to make just this awful, awful decision in order to protect something bigger. But whatever. Or, oh my God, or it's like an Our Flag thing where it's like, you better tell me this or I'm going to kill and then just shoots the person in the head. Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So good. Oh. Is the Nikitsune trying to amplify Lydia's powers? Do we get Lydia away from Void Styles? Is Void Styles revealing a weakness by taking her? He's showing his hand, and Scott and the others learn that Lydia is integral to his downfall. When Lydia was in Styles' head, head she could have learned the Nagitsune's weaknesses. Does Void Styles need Lydia to locate the mass grave so that he can dig up something? Is there so much pain and death of the mass grave that it gives him additional powers? It gives him control of the Oni? This is where I was born. Beneath this floor are the bodies of the dead soldiers and internees. Does Void Styles get control of the Oni at the end of 323? The Oni are fighting Void Styles, then they stop and turn towards the wolves. Now the Oni are under the Void's control. Onto Styles. Is he sapped of energy? Has to be convinced to come back into the fray? Styles is dying and there's a ticking clock. He's withering. The Nikit stays wounded and Styles becomes wounded as well. They're connected. Which is why I feel like we should have seen this episode is something to prove that they were connected. Yeah. yeah. Literally any indication would have helped with that. I like the idea of Oni repellent. I have no idea how that would be spun into the mythology, but it's kind yeah. of a fun idea. It is a fun idea. Yeah. And I, I also feel like now that they point this out, it is kind of odd that we have Void Styles taunting Lydia about the fact that Styles is dying 
and Isaac saying Styles looks like he's dying, but there never is a ticking clock. For Isaac, we were thinking, what if Isaac is with Allison, which she makes her sacrifice, not knowing what she's about to do? After Allison dies, Isaac tries to kill Void Styles himself, or real Styles, if they figured out that they are connected. What happens to one happens to the other. Does Isaac die with Allison? Does Isaac leave with the twins? Does Kate kill Isaac by cutting off his head at the very end? Oh my oh, god! Shit. <laughs> shit! Oh my god! It wouldn't come off. That scarf is very thick. Um, <laughs> oh my god! Maybe it would actually turn into him being that urban legend about the girl with the ribbon around her neck because oh, it holds cool. her head on. Yeah. <laughs> Isaac doesn't want to be a werewolf anymore after Allison dies, and he tries to kill Derek in an attempt to lose his own powers. What, why are we going to bring Derek into this? <laughs> but, oh my god, that is really interesting. Like, I would have think it would have been super interesting to see Isaac try to kill real Styles yeah. for revenge mm-hmm. if he's like, he, I mean, he told us that he doesn't want anyone else to suffer because of him anyway. Yeah. And so, I'll be the one to do it. Yeah. But then, of course, fun. no one else wants that to happen yeah and so then they have to fight against isaac yeah that now that actually would have been a great cliffhanger the cliffhanger we do have for this season is fantastic seeing kate but then also seeing her nawal transformation is dope is, is but what great. if we had seen her cut off isaac's but head what if we had seen her <laughs> kill a main character God. like she like does the transformation everyone's shocked and then she just pulls someone's head right off that you know, would have been crazy that town. would have been insane. Plus, can you imagine killing two main characters back to back? Everybody be like, oh my god, that was so rough, my heart. And then like one episode later, it's like, and guess what? Here's his head. <laughs> that would have been insane and crazy because no one would see it coming. It would be like we they would be like that's the death like that's the we did that that's the thing and then it's like look out in the final 30 seconds of the final episode we're gonna kill yeah, someone else especially because like with this episode as we saw there are some pieces building up toward it yeah so, there's some misdirection but you look back on that scene you're like oh my god allison was going to die she was trying to yeah have this sort of last conversation with her dad and there was the conversation between them on the phone where he's trying to convince her to stay until he can get there and she refuses and things like that. So there are little beats throughout the episode that build up to Allison's death. That would make it even crazier if there's no build up to Isaac's death. It's just like yeah. Allison's dead and there are no little like, oh, Isaac, we love you so much. Let's talk about our feelings and stuff. <laughs> it just, it's just head. Well, that would have been will that, that would have been fantastic because I mean Isaac never comes back, so we could have just killed him, mm-hmm. and it would have been the same. But yeah. I know Jeff doesn't like to kill people if he thinks there's any chance they might want to come back. Oh, we should have we should have gone for shock, shock but and that awe in that final moment. I mean, that would have I I love Isaac, but that would have been kind of incredible. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't lie about that. I think it's interesting that it says, what if Isaac is with Allison when she makes her sacrifice not knowing what she's about to do, which makes it sound much more intentional. On right. I, I do remember that. I do remember the idea that you know, there's so much going on and Allison is kind of separated from the group for some of the episode that she realizes she learns something and figures out like how to stop the Nagetsune or, or something like that and she decides what's going to happen or she decides to sacrifice herself but i we ended up not going with that because i think the shock 
was a little bit better than the than mm-hmm. than the dread. The suddenness of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so interesting. Like I'm looking at this document and the Lydia section is so big. And then the Isaac section is not that big, but damn, are those all crazy options. (laughs) I mean, Isaac tries to kill Void Styles or real Styles. Isaac dies with Allison. Isaac leaves with the twins. There's a weird one. Yeah, that is a weird Um, one. (laughs) Does Kate kill Isaac by cutting off his head at the very end? Completely McBonkers. And then we get to Isaac doesn't want to be a werewolf anymore after Allison dies. And he tries to kill Derek in an attempt to lose his own powers. First of all, who told him that was a possibility? Because Derek brought that up in season one to Scott, not even knowing if that was a real thing or not. Yeah, yeah. Would Derek give that information to the betas that he bit, and why? No, it would not. I'm sure it would have come from someone else. It would 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 have come from Scott. Yeah, Scott. Scott, Yeah. Yikes! That's not a good look. Yikers. Well, he probably didn't say it in a way of like you should go kill Derek. Yeah, yeah. Maybe just in a way of complaining that like Derek said this could be a possibility, but then Derek went and killed Peter, and then it didn't take. So the whole damn thing is so frustrating, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, one night they're just having pillow talk of what do you think if I try killing Peter again? Do you think it would, <laughs> would it make a difference? Would I? I'm not sure. I'm thinking about it. Just kind of kicking it around. What do you think, Boo? And then for McCall, the notes are when does he have his talk with Scott? How will McCall complicate things? He doesn't have to try. Yeah. Does McCall inadvertently strengthen Scott's resolve towards defeating the Nogitsune? So those are just some brainstorming questions not a lot of crazy new plot avenues there <laughs> does kate cut off Raphael's head Raphael's head oh my god <laughs> i would love that so much i was gonna say it's actually fitting that mccall was the last one on this list but also incredibly disappointing yeah. because that reflects <laughs> what he's like as a father yeah <laughs> so there you go this alpha section has been a ride it has mm-hmm. it has and now i, I just <laughs> wish isaac had died <laughs> in the next episode Ooh. Oh, God, we would have destroyed the Internet. <laughs> right? Can you imagine? Oh, I can. It's it's so good. That concludes this week's episode of Return to Beacon Hills. We hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things Teen Wolf. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. Join us here next week when we discuss Season 3, Episode 24, The Divine Move. Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast goodness. Five-star reviews get a shout-out. Have a great week, and we'll see you again soon on Return to Beacon Hills. Dude, it's Beacon Hills.